Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens, things get messy. And we're starting to see things get messy now in the CRC. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. We've also created a Facebook page where we're posting our podcasts and quotes and other good articles. If you want to find that, just search The Messy Reformation on Facebook and like our page so you can keep up to date with us there as well. We also want to give a big thank you to all those who've sponsored us over on Patreon. You have no idea how much that means to us. If you appreciate what we're doing and want to see us keep putting out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash The Messy Reformation. We're hoping to get 20 sponsors at 5 bucks a month. That's going to be the only way we're going to be able to continually put out content for a long time. And as we know, Reformation takes a long time. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Todd Caparis. So, Todd, why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and the church you're at. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, So I'm uh, currently the pastor at Lucas Christian Reformed Church in McBain, Michigan. That's uh, the northern part of the Lower Peninsula in Michigan. Beautiful uh, rural farming community. Um, Been here for about seven years, almost seven years. Um, Married to my high school sweetheart. Michelle, we've been married for 27 years, uh, three children, two of whom are at uh, Dort University. Um, our son is a senior there, our daughter is a freshman, and we have another daughter who's a, a freshman in high school. Um, so that's, that's my family, been in, in youth ministry for, for a long time before heading up here. Okay, where did you uh, start off in youth ministry? Uh, well, I, so I, I started off um, at my home church. I, I grew up in the CRC, um, small, small church near Grand Rapids, um, was baptized there. Uh, and while I was in college, it's kind of an interesting thing that happened. I was, I was doing some um, just volunteer work as a youth pastor. Whenever I could show up, they were happy to have me there. And then uh, when I was a junior at Calvin College, um, the the leaders of our youth group called me and said, um, "We're stepping down. You got to take over." And so I was just kind of thrown into this. And um, my uh, we Michelle and I were engaged at the time, and we're like, "Okay, let's do it." And just absolutely fell in love with it. Um, it was it was just a, an amazing experience. And so that's where I started. And then I. I ended up while I was in seminary working part-time at, at that church. Um, and then after, after graduating from seminary with a master's of educational ministry, then I, I went on and, and served a, a church in, in Byron Center, Michigan for 10 years, and then uh, took a call to, to Bradenton, Florida, and 
served down there in youth ministry for about six years before heading up here. Yeah, and I think that was probably one of the first conversations you and I had at seminary was around our, um, because I had been in youth ministry for, I think, 11 years at that point, and you had been, and so we were both a couple of the long-term youth ministry guys. Yeah, it's a great thing, isn't it? Oh, I loved it, yeah. And even even now that I'm out of, of youth ministry, and and in in preaching ministry, I still I still love that that age group. It's just there's something special about uh, working with those students who um, they're, they're just so many of them are, are ready to learn and ready to grow, and, and I I just love it. That there's nothing yeah. like like youth ministry in that way. Yeah, I just had the opportunity uh, back in January to be the speaker for so classes Wisconsin has a winter retreat where a bunch of them send their youth groups to this retreat and they had asked me to be the speaker. And so that was the, really the first time I've done a youth ministry event since I became a lead pastor. And I just had a blast. Actually, I had a really good time because I was the speaker and I wasn't a leader. So when the kids were going crazy at midnight, I could just go to sleep and, and let the leaders deal with it. So I had the same experience uh, about a month ago, and I thought, oh, this is beautiful. I don't have to plan any of the games. I can just watch and participate and have a good time. So, yeah, I, I totally hear you there. Yeah. So one of the questions I'd love to hear you talk about is what was your transition like from being a youth pastor, a youth minister, to being a senior pastor? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it the transition itself um, – it was it was a rather lengthy process because I had had actually been ordained as a ministry associate um, back in 2007, and so that's when I I started preaching, and and what an experience that was. I was like I've never had I've never experienced anything like this, um, but I at that time I still felt uh, that God was calling me to be a youth pastor, and. Um, so then, you know, while I was in youth ministry, then when I moved to Bradenton, I started preaching a little bit more and had some some more affirmation on that. And uh, the pastor down there, my colleague, just kept encouraging me. Said, "I think you're, I think you're called to be a preaching pastor. I think you need to look at this." I didn't know, I didn't even know what how I could do that since I had been to seminary and and to go back it had been over 10 years since I had graduated and so most seminaries were saying we're not going to accept those um those credits from from previously so I didn't know what to do um but my my colleague down there he he just said why don't you just put your name out there um and see if anyone's willing to to consider you as as a as a lead pastor and so that's what I did. And so the church here in, in Lucas, um, they, they jumped on it and they said, let's see what we can do. And, and then the, the seminary and uh, the denomination were, were just awesome to me in setting up a plan so that, um, you know, I went through the distance learning stuff with, with you, Jason. We were there yeah. together and, um, and I, I wasn't, I, I didn't get my MDiv, but they, they declared that I had an MDiv equivalent so that I could then be ordained as a, uh, a minister of the word. And, um, you know, the, the church up here was just amazing in, um, in helping me through that process and allowing me the time to, to be able to study. Um, so it, it was a, an amazing experience for me. I loved being back in class, but it was awesome to, to have that behind me, too, and, uh, and just to get into ministry. 
Yeah. So what were some of the big adjustments you felt like you had to make going from the role of, of a youth pastor to being a senior pastor? You know, I think the, the biggest adjustment for me was that I didn't have to plan stuff. And that was, for me, that was beautiful. It's one of the reasons why I was kind of looking at getting out of youth ministry. It's never been my, that's never been my gift to, to organize. And, and as you know, Jason, that's a ton of what youth ministry is. Uh, and that was always hard for me. So for me to be able to take a step back and say, I don't have to organize things. I don't have to be the one driving these things. Uh, that was maybe the biggest transition for me. Um, but it also was a, a big transition was just getting into the the flow of of making sure that I was spending a lot of time studying. Um, I just needed to do that in, in order to, to preach uh, two sun, sermons a week. Um, just it takes a lot of study, and, and I wanted to take that seriously. And the church here um, was was great, is is great at making sure I have that time um, to study God's word, um, to be prepared to preach. Those were some of the transitions I, I really was, I think God had prepared me and, and had given me desires to spend more time with with adults, with seniors, to walk journeys with with some adults. I had, I had that desire. So it really was a beautiful transition in my mind. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. One of the things that for me, it was a big adjustment. So we had run our youth ministry much like um, a normal church. So I was, I was preaching every week for our, in our youth ministry. So I was writing a sermon and I was doing all of that. And then, yeah, like you said, planning the retreats and the teaching, and I did all of the teaching at the retreats and stuff too. So it was, it was crazy. So going into, into senior pastor, a lot of those rhythms I'd already kind of developed. But one of the things that I've been trying to um, kind of wrestle through is, is the discipleship process with adults. Because um, mm-hmm. with teenagers, um, they're used to like coming and learning and being ready to for it, which is funny, because a lot of people think teenagers don't want to learn and don't want to grow. And I think you just haven't been in youth ministry then because they're excited and ready sure. to learn. Sure. Where when I get to adults, I'm like, hey, let's let's sit down and do a Bible study or something. And they're like, ah, I'm just too busy. I've got this going on. I'm running here. I really don't have time to do it. And so yeah. I've really struggled to try to figure out how to get that one-on-one relational discipleship going with the adults in my church. Because in youth ministry, I felt like it was actually easier to get that done. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Um, one of the things is, yeah, I know you guys have talked a lot about discipleship on this podcast. It's it's great discussion. Uh, one of the things I where I think we we miss out is when we talk about discipleship, we need to start with thinking about the the proclamation of the word and and corporate worship as our primary place of, of discipleship. And so often um, we as, as pastors can get frustrated that discipleship's not happening because we don't have these programs going on or we don't have a lot of people in small groups. And those are great and I think they're they're important. But it needs to start with with people understanding the the primacy of of the preaching of the word in, in corporate worship. That's, that's discipleship. That's where God is speaking and he's speaking loudly and clearly. Uh, that's, that's discipleship. That's where we follow Christ. Um, and I think it has to start there. Uh, and maybe that's a, 
that, that's a way for us as pastors not to be as discouraged when we don't have people, you know, in discipleship ministries. If if people are active in in being part of corporate worship and they're they're actually engaged there, well, they are in discipleship ministry. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the evening service is part of that. I love having an evening service. Love it. Um, I, I have had some people, you know, have said to me, you know, we really should have a, an adult education time um, where, where we can educate, you know, us as adults and maybe even do something like go through the catechism. Like, did you know we already have that? We already have that. <laughs> and they're like, well, we do. Yeah. It's at six o'clock on Sunday nights. That's what we do. Amen. Um, and, you know, if, if people could understand that, that what an important part of discipleship that is. I, I, you know, maybe I'm an idealist, but I do think some of the other discipleship, the one-on-one um, small groups would, would maybe flow out of that a little bit. Yeah. Thanks for that, Todd. And kind of touching on that and talking about, um, the evening service and just your love for that. Did you grow up attending an evening service? Oh yes, most definitely. Um, it's one of the, one of the things that that I so appreciate about uh, my my parents growing up in in the Christian Reformed Church, growing up in a Christian home. Uh, my parents instilled in us an, an absolute love for the church. Um, as a family, we never heard. Uh, them speak negatively about the church. They they loved the people of the church, um, and so if the church doors were open, we were going to be there. Um, and and my parents loved it. They loved being there, and we knew that. So I I grew up. Um, I I wouldn't say I loved. <laughs> I didn't love the evening service back then, um, mm. but I I just knew that it was part of life. It was part of what we did. It was. It was the rhythm and um, it was just normal. And, and now I've, I've really grown to love and appreciate what that evening service means, not just for, for having another time of worship, but for, um, for organizing our Sunday. There, you know, all through, through the day on Sunday, you always have that to look forward to. You begin the day, you end the day with God's people, hearing the, the, the word, and, and it just helps it helps us to, to kind of schedule that day as the Lord's day. And I, I, I think it's so important. Yeah. Amen. Uh, I'm actually wondering how your congregation kind of, do, do they kind of catch that vision along with you? Uh, is, is the evening service highly prioritized or. It, it is think? on a, it is on an elder level. Our elders okay. uh, take it very seriously. And in, in fact, when I came, um, they had, um, they were doing where anytime there was an additional service during the week, like a holiday, uh, then we would take Sunday evening off uh, that following Sunday evening, just so I wouldn't have to preach three sermons. And uh, okay. just just this year, our elders said, why are we doing that? We want the evening service. Um, you know, can can we still have that evening service even if it, there's a holiday? I said, absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. So on that level, they they see the priority, but um, you know our our attendance is um, you know very is is quite low on on Sunday evenings. We have 
a couple of, we have a number of people from other churches who come to our evening service because they don't have an evening service. Um, but I, I've had um, some people have talked to me and just said, I don't care what you say, we will not be at the evening service. We don't think it's important. Uh, you know, I'm just going to keep telling them that it is, and uh, hopefully they'll catch on after a while, but I love it. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And I think that's a, just all of what was just said is a really good reminder for us pastors that really, and we, we all believe that I forget somebody had said that. I don't know if it was Steve Lawson or RC Sproul once had said, you know, the pulpit is the, the rudder that steers the church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and I think even beyond just steering the church, it is the primary discipleship tool and all of our other discipleship really does flow out of what happens on, on Sunday mornings. And I try to tell people that too, all of our worship throughout the week too, our, our daily life worship flows out of the worship that begins with God's people on a Sunday morning. And I think the same thing is true of the discipleship that happens on a Sunday morning also overflows into the rest of the discipleship in our churches. And it was funny that you had mentioned that because I, when I first got to this church and was trying to figure out how to get some discipleship going and realizing we needed to work on that, um, I remember very distinctly writing in my journal, well, it starts with me in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, that's the first place. And if I do that faithfully, eventually, um, eventually that will, that will be the discipleship tool that causes people to desire to grow more and know more and dive in deeper. And so um, just being faithful in the pulpit is, is huge. I, I agree. And this is one of the areas where I think that, um, that the church has, has um, has has lost a, a bit uh, the the emphasis on the ordinary means of grace. Um, it, it it's just not there in so many of our churches, uh, both in our denomination, but in the church, um, in the broader church too. And and that's I think we're we're missing out in when we lose that emphasis. When in one of the churches out of that, we were going through a church renewal process. And, and I can remember, um, you know, the question was asked, so what do we need to do? What do we need to focus on to, to really um, be, be giving God glory and to be a faithful church? And, um, you know, there were some things said, and then I said, well, I, I do think that we have to, to really emphasize the preaching of the word. And the response from, from the person who was leading this was kind of a, an eye roll. And he's like, yeah, well, of course. Of course, that's what we're going to do. But what are we really going to do to do ministry? Mm-hmm. And and that that just hit me hard. I thought, wow, that's that's a shame. If if that's what we think of the preaching of the word, like yeah, it's just something we assume that we do. But there's really no power to that. There's no you know. And what does Paul say about the the gospel? That that's where the power is. That's the power of God unto salvation. So the preaching of the word, the preaching of the gospel, is where the power of ministry really is in the church. We got to, I think, we got to get back to that understanding of of the ordinary means of grace. Yeah, it's just it's just preaching. It's just the sacraments. But wow, that's what God has God has told us that He will work through that. He will work powerfully through that. Yeah. And that's really, and those are the only ways that God has said, I guarantee if you do these things, it will bear fruit. Yep. Like, you know, you can hold an outreach event, you may or may not, but, but preaching, you know, the word of God and the sacraments and, 
And if you want to throw in the Westminster and prayer uh, as the ordinary means of grace, um, those will bear fruit in in your, in your life and in your ministry. And so it's sad because we're in such a culture that's always looking for the new and the flashy and the big program. And, um, and we just, that's why we overlook the ordinary means of grace. Cause on one level, you could say they're boring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Cause they're just ordinary. The, the word ordinary is in it. They're just ordinary means of grace. And we just kind of do the same thing. And, um, and yet um, we talked about this in just in the episode that we're, that's just being posted now, as we record this one um, that, that talking to Olympic coaches who coach Olympic athletes, they say actually what makes them successful, highly successful is their ability to just persevere through the boring and just keep doing the same training over and over and over again, because they know that that's what is going to produce, you know, uh, results in their athletic career. And for us, it's going to produce fruit um, in the Christian life. Absolutely. That's so important. I, I love Michael Horton's book, Ordinary. That, that kind of focuses on that same thing. And, and what it, 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 in so many ways, it takes the pressure off. It, it takes the pressure off us as, as pastors and leaders because we don't have to do the next best thing, you know, the, the greatest thing that we don't have to be flashy. We, we simply have to be faithful in, in, in proclaiming the word of God and, and he will do the work. So it's not on us. The pressure is not on us. Uh, and, I, and I think that just takes, takes the load off. Yeah. Well, and then even just to put a, maybe even a finer point on this, um, just faithfully preaching the word of God is not ordinary anymore. It's actually pretty extraordinary, yeah, right? There's so true. I mean, you can go to a lot of churches and they're not faithfully preaching the word and they're not um, expositing texts and just doing that faithfully. And, and I think passionately being excited about what God's word saying and how, how it applies to our lives. Um, it's, it really resonates with people because they're looking for it because it's not out there very much. That's a, that's a great point. I, I do wonder if, if part of what goes on there is the expectations that are placed on pastors. Um, you know, if, if the expectation for a pastor is that they have to be developing these programs and ministries and, and, you know, just making sure there's tons of people coming in through the doors and, and you have all those expectations. The pastor isn't given the time to, to do the faithful study of, of the word and to, to focus uh, his attention there. And so those expectations are, are huge. And that's one of the reasons I'm just so thankful where I am that, that our elders uh, were very clear on the expectations that they have for me that, those those were primary uh, for me to be studying the word, preaching the word, and um, and and shepherding the people um, both through the, the word and through pastoral care. Those that's that's the emphasis, um, and and maybe that's that's part of what we have to do is just take off some of those expectations or or rearrange those expectations for our pastors. Yeah, Amen. So, Todd, I want to take our conversation in a direction that we kind of typically ask. Uh, people, and especially as someone who was baptized in the Christian Reformed Church and grew up in the Christian Reformed Church, what are some of the the strengths of the Christian Reformed Church? Or another way to we could ask it is, what are some of the things you've loved about being part yeah. of the Christian Reformed Church? Uh, well, I, I certainly love the theological heritage of the CRC. It's, it's so rich, um, and I, I I love the 
the emphases that that the CRC has really brought out, things like like covenant and and kingdom and and vocation. I I think those are some emphases that that our denomination has has really um, brought out even more so than than some other reform denominations. And and I, I, I that's that's something that I love. Uh, I love those emphases. Um, I obviously love our confessions. Uh, there's, there is nothing like the Heidelberg Catechism. There's nothing like it, mm-hmm. and and I, I love it. It's such an amazing teaching tool for young and old. Um, so I, I, even though you know the Westminster standards are great, um, I, I love, I love the the forms of unity. Beautiful. Um, so, I didn't always appreciate those growing up in the, the CRC, but the the more I, and I think especially once I started teaching, then you realize what a, a rich, rich treasure we have in those confessions in order to, to teach uh, God's word and to teach the faith. Beautiful. Um, I, I think the, the CRC has also um, done a, a great job with missions our emphasis on on missions has been wonderful, even though you know we might disagree with some of the ways missions has been done in the past in in the CRC. I think we we can we can see a love that that people in our denomination have had for the lost and and reaching out to those who have never heard and and frontier missions, uh, whether it's. Um, frontier missions right here in our own nation or um, overseas. Uh, I think that's been such a uh, yeah strong emphasis of of our denomination. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Todd Caparis. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.